1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
2: Thank you, Kenny. Uh, Matthew Collar is going to talk football. OTA, it's OTA season. We even have <laughs> oh, some so OTA exciting. shaming to get to mm-hmm. early in the show. Uh, Jason Stark at 10 o'clock. We may carry that Paul Fenton press conference at 1132, but uh, let's get to a couple things, including the end of a Twins era, Judd. Ding, ding. Chopper to the left side. Loof has it. Sets. Fires. Inning over. Great job by Phil Hughes, pitching out of the jam. What emotions did you feel when you saw the news yesterday? Phil Hughes with $13 million on his contract this year and 13 more next year from that extension he got long ago. What were your emotions when you (laughs) saw the news DFA'd yesterday?
1: Uh, My first feeling was, what took so long? Because I thought this would be done two weeks ago. My second well, two weeks I mean my second it's been 6 year contract My second was simply this I am glad for Phil because not only is he going to walk away rich but this gives him time to take his riches down to Florida to see his favorite hockey team play the Capitals in game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals on Wednesday night he can now go get a luxury box in the arena to watch the Lightning Capitals play in game 7 of that series so I'm actually happy for a guy who has uh, who has gone through baseball hell but is now very rich and a former baseball player that he can enjoy Game 7.
2: Is it really baseball hell when you've made like $100 million in your life playing baseball? Like, I think is a, hell?
1: I think as an athlete it probably is, but as a human being you're like, oh sure. boy,
2: this you, is going to be great. What do you think the percent chance was that he saw Game 7 approaching, his favorite team, and maybe even knocked on the door and said, all right, like we all know where this is headed. <laughs> Let me get down to Tampa. Let's
1: let's make this happen by uh, I don't know end of day on Monday. He probably told him I Paul I'm I'm going to watch Game Six of the Caps and Lightning in the clubhouse, and then you're going to DFA me after the game. I'm going to get on a plane. I'm going to go home and peace out yeah. Minnesota. Goodbye Minnesota.
2: So he was always we haven't had him on in a couple of years because he's been off the grid, and he was always one of our favorite guests at spring training. Come on, he didn't want to talk baseball really. He just wanted to talk hockey and other things. I like him as a guy. He had that one great year with the Twins, and uh, injuries derailed him. I do not blame Phil Hughes for signing the contract. I hate when fans are mad at Joe Mauer because he signed a contract, or um, or Phil Hughes. Like Phil Hughes rejected a five hundred thousand dollar bonus because he because rain cut short his last outing in like whatever it was, two thousand thirteen, yeah, at Detroit or fourteen. Yep, and uh, he was like an inning away from a five hundred thousand dollar bonus and he and they offered it to him and he said no i didn't i didn't earn it i didn't pitch it and then they said well how about if we give you like the the, the all of the money the rest of your life we'll any, just give
1: you money for generations any fan who who gets mad at a player for taking the contract is as naive as you could possibly As if a player would say, "You know what? That five-year offer—it's really good, but I'm afraid that I'm not going to be able to live up to the standards of that deal. Therefore, I want a two-year deal for much less money." Like imagine—like who
2: thinks that? Imagine being at your office, and whatever you do, you're you're grinding eight hours a day. You're putting in all the work, and you're you're getting paid seventy-five thousand dollars a year because you've worked hard and you had a really good year. Like you—you helped your company hit new milestones and. And uh, you are the employee of the month like three different times. And they say, you know what? We really believe in you long term. We're going to, I was going to say quadruple your salary, more like 10x your salary or whatever. Would you say, you know what? I got to be honest. My durability (laughs) is going to be a question over the next few years. I think we should play this out for like two or three years just to see if it's sustainable. Do you no, know, you'd
1: sign. Do you know the pressure that I would feel? <laughs> I will not take that salary. I don't want that salary. Um, so I, I think it's, it's sort of the end of an era that
2: I guess you could call it the bad pitching decisions era for the Twins front office. And now it's a, a different front office, obviously. But uh, I have put together, just going back like the last 10 years, and I can't even believe this. I knew it was bad, but when you really start to do the math, the twins over the past decade, mm-hmm. and this is mostly the Terry Ryan led Terry Ryan or Bill Smith front offices. But this is the, you know, this is how you get to where you were, which is fire everybody and bring in and now they're still trying to build this thing for the past couple of years. But they agreed to pay over a quarter billion dollars to this collection I'm about to give to you. All right. Over the past decade. Oh boy. They agreed to pay over a quarter of a billion dollars to to this collection, Ramon Ortiz, Sidney Ponson, Levon Hernandez, Jason Marquis, Tommy Malone, banked $7 million from the Twins, Matt Capps.
1: <laughs> Congratulations to Tommy Malone.
2: Carl Pavano, who at his best was a good solid, like, number yep. three starter who ate innings, right? Yes. Good clubhouse guy. Pavano was fine. Hector Santiago. It was not fine. Former friend of the Mackie and Judge show. Really? Kevin Correa. He stole our cash! <laughs>
1: Hector Santiago stole our money. Forget the twins. He was good for a month. He got the whole sum and walked away. He didn't answer <laughs> his phone every Monday. He stole our money. I want my money back. Hey, at least he
2: always said he would answer the phone. It just, the call didn't exactly, go through. Exactly. Here's, sorry. Hey, man. I'm going to be on a boat in Puerto Rico. Terry today, Ryan but you and can us. We all got screwed by just Hector. A fraud. Just a fraud. Uh, Kevin Correa is part of the quarter billion dollars spent on this collection the last 10 years. Nick Blackburn, $14 Now we get to the fun ones. Mike Pelfrey. (laughs) Yep. Ricky Nolasco. Yep. Irvin Santana. I'm going to put on this list not because he's not great at his peak, but because you could say that two of the four seasons he's been under contract have been lost seasons. And in the biggest game he's pitched for the Twins. He completely soiled himself at Yankee Stadium and blew a three-run lead. Absolutely. And then Phil Hughes will make sixty-six million dollars from the Twins when it's all said and done. It's not that they don't spend. It's not that they're obviously not spending on the level of the top seven or eight teams in baseball. That's obvious. It's that they're terrible at spending. So who? This is the end of a bad pitching decisions era. Who got
1: extensions? Then Pelfrey got an extension, right? Didn't Terry got an extension? I think Caps did. Caps got an extension. Terry re-upped on Pelfrey, right? Re-upped on Pelfrey. We couldn't Palfrey, believe that. Re-upped on
2: Hughes, Blackburn, re-upped on Pavano, Caps, Tommy Malone. <laughs> I forgot they re-upped on and, Tommy Malone. Well, the, the, uh, Joe Nathan you could put on this list, too, but that was more of like the guy had Tommy John. And yeah. When he signed yeah, the that deal, was, yes. it wasn't terrible, but... Uh, Yeah, let's soak that in
1: for a second when you're trying to figure out what happened to the Twins the last five or six years. And then on top of all of that, you you also have the Terry Bill Smith drafting, lack of development. You drafted arms who who didn't get to the big leagues and or just flamed out quickly. So between those two things, if if you still say to yourself, why Falvey? Like of all the bright young minds out there, why Falvey? I'll give you one word. Pitching. He knew pitching. They basically looked and said, our decisions on pitching have been so horse bleep, it's off the charts. And Phil Hughes, by the way, the Phil Hughes original contract is not bad. $24 million, three years, he gives you one great year. If you were to play that out, and the next two were not to be great, and he breaks down, you say to yourself, okay, we got one year. But That's what it was
2: like the Willingham deal. He had yes. the 35 bombs, and then the last two years were injuries. But I'll
1: and- never understand, and, and this helped get uh, Chuck... Fletcher fired as well. I'll never understand this need to go to guys who are in the midst of of either good years at an older age or a good first year with you and to say, you know what, I I think your work is fantastic. Here's a long-term extension. Here's a multi-year extension. There's never a need to do that, unless we're talking about a young superstar who you're going to lock up for a long time. There's never a need to go to a guy in the midst of his contract if he is an aging player and, and and or at a late age, he's coming up and playing well, and say to him, "I'm going to give you a multi year contract." Yeah, extension. there's
2: a pattern to all the guys that we listed off for either extensions or the the bigger contracts here. They were all either right next to age thirty or even well past the age of thirty, and that's that's the the dice that you're rolling. So the end of an era, at least we hope. Anyways, let's let's touch on one more thing from last night's Twins game. Ding ding, deep to left field. Rosario in the corner tonight is Eddie's game he absolutely has owned this baseball game crashing into the fence for the final out. He was Eddie Rosario. That was peak Eddie Rosario last yes. night. He had the, I don't want to call it a game-saving catch, but it was a dramatic catch to... Have you seen the screenshot of him pressed up against the wall? I think yes. it was Carlos. Carlos the, Gonzalez yeah. on the strip. It's a great shot. And like the guy in the front row and left field is all like, ooh, like cringing. I can't oh. mock him.
1: I might do the same thing. <laughs> I might very well Everyone do the same Everyone else was like thing. very calmly watching
2: the play, waiting for Rosario to catch yeah, it. I'm not sure how I would cover. react
1: in that set... <laughs> second but that that was a great catch i love the fact though that and this is this is rosario in a nutshell i love the fact that that the ball that he swung at to spark the rally where the twins came back in was in his eyes yes he's a fun player to watch he might drive you crazy sometimes but he's a fun player to watch uh he's one of the only players
2: that will that when he swings at that pitch will drive it somewhere mm-hmm. And, and then the play he had tagging up from third base, where he sort of baited... I can't remember who the center fielder Martin. was for the Tigers. Leonis Be Martin. Okay. Uh, Martine. Martin. Yes, Leonis Martin. Martin. Yeah, he's been around forever. That's, uh, that's a bad news Bears collection there. Nico Goodrum, a former uh, second-round pick by the Twins.
1: He was batting fifth?
2: Yeah. Guardy don't got a lot collection. to work with but, uh, the Bengals. But Martin caught that ball like 15 or 20 yards from the edge of the, the dirt. And Rosario wisely, he stood on the bag until the ball was caught and then kind of hesitated and then forced him to make a bad throw. So he had great base running, great catch in left field, had the uh, the fastball at his eyes, swings and hits a liner to center field. It was a classic Rosario
1: game. I would love to take, not, not the entire thing, I would love to take part of Rosario's brain, just a little part, and stick it in Buxton. Just a little bit of that I don't really care. I'm going to take a chance here. I'd rather take his hands and replace Buxton's hands at the plate. I'll <laughs> but I take feel that. like I feel like everything Byron does, he just he gets in these he these massive slumps and he's always thinking. He's O2 and he's thinking, thinking, thinking. I just want a little bit of that Rosario. You know what? I'm gonna have some fun here. I don't honestly, I I
2: mean there might be a little bit of that. The biggest difference between Buxton and Rosario isn't like mentality, it's the speed of their hands and their swing. I mean Buxton there's He's sitting on... Pitchers aren't exactly nibbling when they're facing Byron Buxton. They're throwing him fastballs. Yeah. They're, they're daring him to hit pitches. Breaking balls are over the plate. They're just saying, we're, we're not going to walk you. We're going to throw the ball over. And he's getting fat pitches every night and just popping them up. Shallow oh, outfield. It's, again.
1: it's awful. Ground again
2: balls to the left side. Um, Rosario can wait so long on pitches because his hands are so good. And his swing is so compact and quick Buxton needs to go back. This is what Pat's been saying for three years. Like, just go back to that that opposite field, up the middle, opposite field, quick swing. And if the power is something that comes in three years, awesome. But just, like, hit the ball hard and get on base first. But he just keeps popping everything up because of his long swing. So, anyways, let's get Matthew Collar in here next. We've got OTA shaming we need to talk about here with Collar. There's controversy in OTAs lot of controversy. There is. Um, And Collar also has three gigantic pieces about Kirk Cousins uh, set to start this week on 1500ESPN.com. So we can dive into some Kirk Cousins discussion. Jason Stark, usually at 1130 on Tuesdays. He'll join us at the top of the hour here in about 50 minutes. Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studio. The Mackie and Judd Show will continue in a moment. Way too many words. On 1500 ESPN. Becky and Judd are back. Gentlemen, the moment has finally arrived on 1500 ESPN.
0: Well, this is a voluntary OTA. Let's emphasize voluntary, even though most every player does go. And the ones that don't go, I think, make their own unofficial statement. I think what's important to see is that they uh, competed, they challenged one another. And I think we got uh, one OTA better. And now it's the challenge. Any you leave the practice field is their, their thoughts need to drift toward recovery. So certainly we can come out tomorrow, have OTA two, and get one more OTA better. So it's a good day. It's nice, sunny.
2: That was Pat Shermer. Matthew Collars with us. Did he really just say, we got one OTA better?
0: And And then he doubled down. The New York media is not really going to love Pat Shermer, I don't think. That's some good stuff. What do you mean? He's
2: not being funny or ironic. He's just like. Oh Being no! Super dry, right? That,
0: that's exactly how he is, though. I mean, just you know, when, when sometimes he'll give good details on things, but it's always like that. It's always in that tone, and a lot of times it's like, well, you know, we're just trying to do some stuff that can help us win. You're know, like, yeah, Pat, I know.
1: Don't you guys realize <laughs> the importance of this time of year? The OTAs, I, I getting out in that field, starting to starting the install.
0: As as much as this stuff probably does matter to some extent, and figuring out like who's going to be on your team, and especially if you have a new coach or offensive coordinator, it's probably a big deal. But I really stopped caring about most of it outside of the stories that I can do uh, on particular players or whatever. It's a good time for that because there's lots of access and no one's mad yet. Um, but when Sam Bradford showed up ten days before the season and then beat the Packers in his first start, I mean, I know he, he waited the one week. But then they had this amazing game and beat Aaron Rodgers. It was like, you know, maybe this stuff is a little overstated for how much
1: it matters. Give me your give me your top three story predictions that will be written within the next month plus about about things that by training camp will be BS. About the Vikings or, yes. or across the NFL? Vikings. No, no, stuff your, your that top... Matthew
2: Collar will write or No,
1: no, anybody. Or that he's smart enough to avoid anybody, but I'm saying a TCO performance. Center, in the next month plus, when when you guys get access, what are going to be the three stories that by October we're like, oh, my God, you're
0: well, kidding. the Brian O'Neill one is going to be one to watch because when I looked at him in rookie minicamp, I thought, like, this guy looks like a tight end. I mean, he just isn't anywhere close to Riley Reeve for Mike Remmers just for his body or, or Rashad Hill. But I think what we'll hear is, Oh man, he's just been killing it in the weight room. Like he's just he's drinking so many protein shakes, like like muscle milk. Jagaboms. <laughs> Not Now chief. Like I'm in the zone. Tony Sperano <laughs> thinks that he is maybe the best right tackle of all time. You know, you're just gonna hear, oh, he's just catching on so fast. And then we'll see if he takes a few reps against Daniel Hunter, how that ends up actually looking. But I, I think that that's that's one of them. I do wonder if the Laquan Treadwell thing. I wonder if Mike Zimmer put a bullet in it at the combine though, because last year the big thing was like, can Laquan learn routes? Like that's an amazing not. question to ask. Like it is.
2: It's a. I can see if okay. It's a really. It's a raw sixth round situation. If you're drafting a wide receiver in the first round and you're asking can he learn routes, you probably shouldn't have drafted him in the first round.
0: Probably not. There are a lot of people who study the draft who watched his tape and he was a pretty dominant player and they thought, well, you know, the 40-yard dash is not always indicative of who's successful at this. I mean, John Ross ran the fastest of all time. Like, who the hell is that, right? I mean, he technically plays for Cincinnati, but I'm not even sure I'm... If he made more than a couple catches himself in his first year, and he was a high draft wide receiver too. Wide receiver, I think, is one of the most difficult positions to project. Because it goes from being very simple for a lot of guys in college to very, very complicated at the NFL level. And I think that's in part where Treadwell's been left behind, but also the speed. But mm-hmm. last year, it was just the big thing was, oh, can he get the technique down? Can he learn how to win the routes? He's finally got it. And then he got in a fight in camp and hurt his hamstring in the fight with Anton Exim of all people. Again, <laughs> whoever that is. And then he had, like, what, 20 catches? And I recall writing that Case Keenum had a 49 quarterback rating when throwing in his direction.
2: <laughs> and here, here's t- two more stories that I I don't think are invalid, but they're just going to get hammered throughout the offseason. Number one, the mentorship and leadership of Terrence Newman, which oh, is yeah. it's definitely yeah. a thing. I'm just saying it's going to be, like, widely overplayed for the next four or five months. And then the chemistry between Kirk Cousins and his wide receiver slash pass catchers, right? Definitely. Like, that's going to be monitored as closely as anything the next few months.
0: I saw the uh, NFL.com story of Zimmer at his coaching camp saying, like, Oh, I'm just really impressed with Kirk Cousins. Like, well, you paid him $84 million. I mean, you, you should be, right? Like, the guy's thrown for... Yeah, it
1: might be a good thing to yeah, be impressed by him. He's
0: thrown for 4,000 yards for three straight seasons. You should, like, not come here and
1: go... He's terrible. He can't hit anything. (laughs) I I think we're going to get... I think we should get rid of him. I think we're going to get... The Vikings backup quarterback situation has not been in this good a hand since blank. And there's going to be Trevor Simeon stories about, you know, they finally got got a backup that you can rely on. And if something happens to Cousins... And my other guess, because he's not a dumb dude... I think he can be a recalcitrant, but he's not a dumb dude. Mackenzie Alexander is going to yeah. say, I get it now. Guys, don't worry about oh, yeah. me. Yeah. I, got, I got this. Just like last year. Wake-up call, right? First-round pick was a wake-up call.
0: Alexander during OTAs. Now, this was when Zimmer was sitting out with an eyeball. And Zimmer was at his ranch on the phone with us. Talking about how they were sending him, I forgot about this. This is great. So the, they were talking about how they were sending him all the video every day. So he's like one-eyed watching all the video at his ranch, and then like texting guys that he's mad at them for stuff. Even
2: and though his depth perception is off, and like he really <laughs> couldn't see how far away. He's
0: like no, man, that was a that was an eighteen-yard dig, and he's like, no, that definitely not. That it was, was like, like twelve. A yeah, it was like yeah. Like,
2: no, <laughs> it's no, just coach, really hard to no. Tell. They'll
0: open your other eye, um, but. <laughs> But he was on the phone with us from his ranch and telling us that Mackenzie Alexander had learned how to listen to the coaches. And, like, oh, I know these just, things.
2: Like, this you is got a receiver who can run around. So right. now you got another yeah. second round pick here, uh-huh. defensive back who listens now. It's so, great. So then, all the way through
0: training camp, just to show you how meaningless a lot of this can be, all the way through training camp, he's playing nickel every single day in, in the preseason games, everything. Mm-hmm. And then. He comes out in the fourth preseason game and he's still playing. And you're like, wait a minute. This is the game where no one plays and takes a terrible, awful <laughs> penalty and, and then gets pulled from the game and basically doesn't play after that. And he played t- 25, 30% of the defensive snap, just gets moved to the starting nickel spot and is totally fine. And the offensive line in training camp yep. had never played together before week one. And then until people started getting hurt through like the first seven weeks, they were really good. <laughs>
1: What makes football from a coverage standpoint so dangerous is the fact that there's so few games, it allows you way too much time to try and find stories. Yeah. So like if you Or you, to form opinions that might be. But not I mean, you it. get access at OTAs, which mean nothing. They mean absolutely nothing. Training camp practices are dangerous. And so so you get a coach who tries to start to sell you on, hey, you know what, Laquan Treadwell, I mean, I'm seeing things. And you're like, oh, okay, this is great. But at least with baseball, you start to play games. At least ge- games give you an idea, right? They give you at least a clue. E- even spring training games, they can be dangerous, but they give they're you... A- ve- I would say spring training baseball games
2: might even be more dangerous than football I think games.
1: Practi- I think practices are the worst because you're looking for something a lot but, of times but, to write.
2: But here's why. Like, I, 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 they're both like, very dangerous. I'm, yeah. not, I'm, I'm splitting hairs here. But in football, there's a lot of things you can sort of tell, okay can how how well does a guy run a route like that translates directly to a game uh can does a quarterback have an arm things like that in baseball everyone throws 90 miles an hour or 95 miles an hour and oftentimes pitchers are ramping up and working on things like pitchers are working on things in a game and they know that they're going to get hit but they have to work on this pitch right here yep. in football you're never going to like I'm going to work on my backpedaling right but now in this rally, and You're going to you, cover a receiver.
1: All of these guys, even the worst players for the most part, can look good doing the drills. Like Treadwell looks like he can run routes in drills. Mm-hmm. That's the dangerous thing. He gets into well, games and you're like, oh my God, he's not, he's terrible.
0: I'll, I'll tell you one where I kind of got got, and then some other good examples of where you can learn stuff. Uh, Michael Floyd was just school and fools in training camp. I mean, they knew he was going to be suspended for the first few games. So they didn't run him with the first team because they were getting ready for the real season. And he was just like Terrell Sinkfield and Trey Robertson or whoever these people were. He was just owning them. He's making great catches. He's getting separation. It was like, Floyd looks like he's back, man. That kombucha must have done something for him. And then you know he gets (laughs) like 10 catches the whole season. And he was just a total 100% non-factor. Why didn't he play more? Uh, I think one reason is because you had two receivers who were so much better. And he did get a little more reps as the season went along because it was becoming more clear that Treadwell couldn't play. But then they were mixing in Jarius Wright more because he was the best of the three. I think he just couldn't create separation, and they didn't really have that vertical role. They didn't really need that. When you have two wide receivers already on the team who can win at all three levels, It's kind of like, well, when we run personnel with three wide receivers – The other guy, he's nowhere close to these two. So just like, do something that distracts the other team. I mean, really, you could see it. It's just like, well, you run a go-route and just sort of take a safety that way so we can open up the middle of the field. And people still remember that you're Michael Floyd. I don't think he was anywhere near as fast as he once was either. I mean, he's a big guy. He's like 28 going on 35. Yeah,
2: well, you lose. I mean, straight-line speed in all sports is something that probably peaks when you're in your early 20s and then fades at like twenty. 25, 26. So if he, I mean, Joey Galloway was one of these rare exceptions were into his thirties. He was still one of the fastest straight line runners in the NFL. But like, if that was Michael Floyd's one of his greatest attributes and now you're looking at his age and okay, well, like what else do you have? Can you, can you be a red zone threat? And they obviously said, I don't know, not enough.
0: And and so why would you, and also just why would you design anything for him when you have these other two pro bowl caliber players? Now the examples where, It became very obvious early on how really good these players were, were Delvin Cook and Pat Elfline, that with Delvin Cook, he took a couple of handoffs, and just the explosiveness that he had, the vision that he had, I mean, it just looked like, wow, this is on a completely other level from anybody else out on the field. This is obvious that this guy is the most talented football player out there right now. Hmm. And with Pat Elfline... on a daily basis, he just looked like he was handling guys that normally you wouldn't be able to handle as a rookie. I mean, he was going up against Linval Joseph on a daily basis. And it was like, okay, he's having some real battles there, and I'm focusing on this and watching it, and he's doing a good job. And Linval can just demolish centers. And then, you know, you switch it back and forth, they were trying him at different positions, and he seemed to be handling both really well, which made me think, you know, this guy might be pretty bright. And then you can read between the lines for what other players say. So, like, a lot of t- they're never going to be like, oh,
2: bro, he's awful.
0: But they'll be like, you know what, I mean, he's just brought a really great presence to the locker room or something you're like yeah I, I asked you really about him in the zone running scheme and you're like yeah but he's
1: you know he's just he's trying real hard the out kiss there of the death. great shape, you know? really, yeah. Yeah. the kiss of death is he's learning yeah yeah, yeah he's yeah. learning he's working yeah. really hard he's got his nose in the playbook it's like okay this is trouble since yeah, we're sharing
2: yeah. like I've getting fooled in spring training slash training camp stories Jud knows this one I when I covered the twins in the early part of the target field days uh, and you'd be down there for seven weeks watching spring training practice and games. And there was a big story before the 2000, I want to say 12 season where opposing hitters facing Nick Blackburn <laughs> were like talking to the Twins first baseman, Justin Morneau and other guys. Joe Maurer was over there and like David Ortiz was standing on first base after I think he drew a It was like a 12 pitch walk or something and Blackburn fought him tough and this spring training game. And he's over at first base telling Morno, "Blackie looks different. Like he's on the other side of the rubber now. He looks different." And it was this like month-long Nick Blackburn gets swings and misses now thing. And There's yeah. probably stories you can find that I wrote that are
1: embarrassing about Nick Blackburn having turned a corner. Hey, there's nothing worse. Day one training camp, 2007. Troy w- w- Williamson just back from the Nike Vision Clinic, getting out there and saying, "You guys don't understand." I was, and then he went and caught. A, I swear to God, a hundred balls from the Jugs machine, and he's like, "I've been working on this. I've been catching. I've been catching all with his face mask. Balls. By yeah. the way,
2: just hands behind the back.
1: And yeah, and to end that year to end that that year in Denver. The ball goes off his mask, but that was because we also. This is a great story. I mean, this is a first round pick, a seventh overall pick, it, and, and he went
2: and applied himself. A lot of it's rooted in hope too. Like you sure. just like everything is based on hope. The players and the coaches and fans. Uh, the one thing that I love on the bottom line ticker here on ESPN today, they have an OTA shaming category, skipping OTAs. So it's like MLB news, NBA news, and then there's one that just says skipping OTAs, <laughs> and it's listing all the high-profile players from every team that are skipping the voluntary workouts just to shame them on national TV.
0: Yeah, Tom Brady isn't doing it, uh, which, I mean, doesn't it seem like Brady wants a new contract? Right, I mean that, that's how he sort of acted over the last. I mean, with the forcing the this, Jimmy Garoppolo this trade. This is just a contractor,
1: and, of power struggle of sorts too with Bill. I don't know. I mean, it's Some, it something's seems weird like, here. It, it's it's intriguing because I sense there's almost a struggle of of does uh, does Kraft love Belichick or or Brady more? Well,
2: I, if you're Tom Brady, though, like what do you? Is it you want more money for this year or next year? You're not going to get a five year contract ironclad at this age. I don't know. I mean, mean, he has to know that.
0: All these all time great athletes, like it never goes well at the end, right? I mean, of course not. I was reading someone from DC talking about Jordan with the Wizards, and, and we all kind of just ignored that because it didn't really matter. But he was saying the other players couldn't wait till he just left because they were so tired of him. They were so tired of him thinking that he was still Jordan, taking horrible shots and scoring 20 a game but taking a lot of shots to get there. Couldn't play defense anymore, really, and yet still thought that he was Michael Jordan. With Tom Brady, it seems like he thinks he's going to play till he's like 47 years old and wants the contract and wanted all the competition out there, you know, gone. And Mm -hmm. he was Pro Football Focus's number 1 quarterback last year. I mean, so he was really great, and he took his team to the Super Bowl. But one of these days, it's just gonna hit this wall, and then what? What do you do if you're those two guys? Yeah. And and Belichick, you gotta think that he wanted to draft Lamar Jackson. He was right there. It was like, man, if anybody can maximize this guy's talents, it's gonna be Bill Belichick, right? And the fact that they didn't take him is almost like, eh, I think that Tom Brady's winning that power struggle yeah. at the moment.
2: Collar's hanging out with us from the Purple Podcast, 1500ESPN.com, where he covers the Vikings and Saturday sports talk. Uh, let's talk some Kirk Cousins when we come back here. We can also get into uh, the announcement later today. It'll be official in like two hours. Paul Fenton, new Wild GM. And Jason Stark will join us in about a half hour.
1: Sit tight. The Mackey and Judd Show will continue in a moment. Yes! On 1500
2: ESPN.
1: Bill Mackey. If you need him, it's trouble. Why so, is it trouble? So too is because he's young and he's going to struggle at times. Judd Zolgad.
2: I changed my thought from a half hour ago. You are a bad person. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Mackey and Judd, we're hanging out with our football-loving friend, Matthew. Matthew Collar from 1500ESPN.com and the Purple Podcast. Uh I don't want to like you you should take this Kirk Cousins thing and drive it wherever you want cuz you have three long form pieces coming out on 15 hardyspncom during OTAs the next couple weeks so unveil whatever you want like let's let's start with one of the themes you take it
0: okay the first one that I'm running is today at about 11:30 publishing it on the website about whether Kirk Cousins is still an underdog because the man got paid eighty-four million dollars guaranteed, and a hundred million dollars is pretty likely for him playing if he plays all three seasons as a starting quarterback of the Vikings. He will, so he's going to earn a hundred million bucks, and his time here in Minnesota will be defined by the money he's made and whether they win the Super Bowl or reach the Super Bowl. I think when you get there, it's kind of like, okay, well, I don't know. I mean, see, I think
2: a, I think Vikings fans and like Judd is on that side too. I think you think that that's the case, but. Losing the fifth Super Bowl without a win and just becoming the first ever like that would be more devastating. Oh, just, if you just get back there for the first time in two generations, I don't know, man. But I think it's it's for for Kirk Cousins. He's here it, to win it.
0: It's not successful for signing him and paying them this way unless you are right there at the end all three seasons because of how much you paid him. And yeah. if any of these players leave, if your Diggs leaves or Hunter, or I mean, it's less so for Anthony Barr, but if you lose one of those guys or you can't make other key moves because of this, because of his gigantic cap hit then you're going to look back and say then it, it wasn't successful. If you are out in the first round of the of playoffs three years in a row, you're going to look back and say, well, we spent way too much money on the same thing that Case Keenum could have given us. Mm-hmm. And then maybe we could have drafted another guy and been developing the franchise quarterback during that time. So I think that part of it is... He's not really an underdog now when the expectation is you have to reach the NFC Championship or Super Bowl in order for fans to say, well, okay, it was worth bringing you in here. I mean, that's part one. Mm -hmm. And then part two, is I kind of looked at his background and how he became an underdog, really by no making of his own. It was it, it, like media for one has played a big role of just hunting every possible way. I was reading a Bleacher Report article, and I included this in my piece, where his dad was saying, "You know, on his seventh grade basketball team, he wasn't even the starting point guard at first, and by the end of the season, he was." Oh my god! I'm like okay, man. So life adversity. So, so right. The, yeah the the phony adversity and stuff like that, and then really it was about people not liking RG three. And wanting to see somebody else emerge. But at the same time, he is an incredibly hard worker and has outworked his talent to be here and have this contract. So it's it, to me, it's interesting whether he'll be perceived here as someone who is still an underdog, still fighting that uphill battle to prove himself, or now that the expectations are so high, if people really won't look at it that way.
1: So it definitely sounds like the Cousins perceives himself as one, though. Definitely. which Which means, and ordinarily, if an athlete is geared like that, they desperately try and hold on to that. So like if you go up and say Kirk Cousins you are now the hi- highest paid or one one of the highest paid players in the National Football League and you are now a marquee type of player or should be he'll be like oh no 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 the adversity i have faced i am still because player a lot of players love that, that that role and what's interesting is when that role is stripped from them they face an entire new life at times athletically and it's really interesting what direction that can go and that's part of his story here is How he
0: deals with now having this as the expectation because when he goes into the 2015 season, it's like we just had to pick a guy. I mean, RG3 is still there and he's awful at that point, and Colt McCoy is there and he's just, you know, a backup or whatever. So it's like eh, cousins by default because neither one of those other guys needs to be our quarterback. They didn't have any expectations, really, of making the playoffs at that point. They were probably thinking about the next year's draft class for quarterback. And then Cousins has that game where he yells at the reporter, you like that, and then after that he sort of takes off. So it becomes this good, like, oh, everybody doubted this guy. And through the beginning of his career, the first, like, season's worth of start, he was awful. I mean, he had like a 70 quarterback rating. It was backup caliber numbers. And to then turn into a Pro Bowl quarterback to get his team into the playoffs, all that sort of thing. I think he really liked that. But now it's like no one's doubting you or against you. They just paid you the most ever at the time.
2: I want to go back to something you said at the beginning of this like a few minutes ago. Just sort of the expectations of what, what this should mean for the Vikings It almost feels like because of how scarred we are as a sports community here, we're afraid to say what the reality is, which is Mike Zimmer's one of the best coaches in the NFL. You've got one of the best defenses in the NFL, and you signed Kirk Cousins to be a franchise quarterback. You've got your offensive skill, so many things in place. Maybe you're not the favorite going into the season, according to Talking Heads in Vegas, but like, why can't we just say it? They should win the Super Bowl at some point over the next two or three years. Or it's a disappointment. They should win the Super Bowl over the next two or three years. Or it's kind of a buzzkill.
0: Yeah, I put like it. You at, can still get yeah.
2: joy out of something short of the Super Bowl, but it's going to be kind of a buzzkill if they don't.
0: I put it at if you aren't winning playoff games every year that he's here. And especially this year, where it seems like it's all in, you might lose some players later. Sheldon Richardson is not sticking around. More likely than not, he's going to be a one-year thing. He's a great player; could make your defense even better. It's an all-in type of move. Let's give him a bunch of money for one year and see if it works. So, yeah, I mean, when you spend that much money in the off-season and you've built up to a 13 and three last year, your expectation is put all the way at the top. And with those Vegas odds, yeah, you're not number one, but you are right there in that conversation. And if you don't end up reaching that or you go out in the first round of the playoffs, it ends up this has the potential to be like a Kansas City Chiefs situation where every year they'd go 12 and 4, 11 and 5, they'd be really good, they'd get into the playoffs, and then it'd be like, well, first round out, and you look around and go, man, is it is it the quarterback? Is it Alex Smith? Is he not good enough? Because every other position was stacked. And then the ironic thing about that is that Alex Smith has his best year when their defense stunk, yeah. and they get ahead by, what, like 18 points or whatever, two touchdowns in the playoff game, and their defense botches it. But – I mean, that has been like that for a lot lot of years, and you think of the same thing uh, with Kansas City and the same thing with uh, Cincinnati, too. Teams that were always good, but their quarterback couldn't quite get them over the top, and if Cousins doesn't do that, he's going to be looked at very similarly to players like Andy Dalton or Alex Smith. The
1: the fan base here is afraid, and I can't blame them because it's been so long, and and they've seen uh, so much carnage, 98-2009, last year. Uh, I do feel though that the team is very much on board with, and they're, they're not going to publicly say this, but very much on board with, this is it. Yep. This is our chance. Yep. Our, our coach is what, 62, 61? Not a young man. Right. We're signing a quarterback who's in the midst of a very good career to a three year win now contract. The thing I like about this is if this works or it doesn't work, this is not a, we were pretty good last year, and so let's try and be pretty good again. This is uh, We're jettisoning the starting quarterback from from last year, because rightfully so, we don't think he can repeat that, and we are, you don't see in this town all the time. Uh, Yes.
0: The only thing you do wonder is if they went all in with the right guy, with Kirk Cousins. I mean, because when you look at how... PFF or I mean just even other executives or ESPN or where where they're all ranking him as a quarterback. It's usually in the middle of the league. It's not generally a guy that you would have thought go all in with. And one of his things in Washington was he just didn't really win. And there's a lot of criticisms you can have of his game. He's a very, very good quarterback, but he is far from perfect. He's far from the guy where you say, Yeah, absolutely. He is the one that can get us there. And if he doesn't, it probably won't be his fault, like Aaron Rodgers. I
2: think I think they got caught, and I don't I mean, I think we can split hairs on. Is he like sort of a league average guy, or is he like ninth, like we could split hairs? I think Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer, in fact, I want to tell you, let's come back. I wanna because we're up against a break here. I want to tell you what I think they think and then get Matthew's thoughts on Paul Fenton, the new wild GM that will be announced in less than two hours. Mackie and Judd, TCL broadcaster with Mackie and Judd are back after this brief
1: timeout. How did your focus groups feel about cliffhangers on 1500 ESPN?
2: Please listen carefully. Mackie and Judd now continue. Let's go, people. Let's get it going. 1500 ESPN.
1: The 4th Annual
2: Town
0: Ball Classic returns to Target Field this Saturday presented by 1500
2: ESPN. Money for the Twins Community Fund. Gate 29 opens at 9 o'clock. First pitches at 10 with the Class C game. That's followed by Class B and Class A, all broadcast as well on 1500 ESPN. Tickets, if you want to head down, are just $10. Good for the entire day of ball. For more info or to purchase your tickets, head to 1500ESPN.com, keyword town ball. You like that? You like that? All right, Jason Stark in like 10 minutes, and uh, we'll talk some 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 uh, Fenton here in just a second, but want to uh, visit that website. But on the Kirk Cousins front, and why they went all in on him. Like, okay, you're in all in mode with your coach, all in mode with your defense, skill position players. Like you now you have to pick a quarterback and go all in or commit. And, you know, he's league average, maybe sometimes top ten quarterback. Counting stats and fantasy stats would put him up even higher sometimes. But I don't think it was about going all in on how great Kirk Cousins is. I think it was going all in on stability at the position. That they just They paid a tax on a guy who's played 16 games for three straight years at an average to above-average level and said, the rest of this is great right now. We just need something that we're pretty sure about, even if it's not Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, and we're paying for it like it is. They paid for peace of mind, basically.
0: What they know is that all the other options had the potential to blow up in their face. So if you were talking about Teddy Bridgewater, it doesn't sound very good for him in New York. And they drafted a quarterback and they brought back Josh McCown and he's limited in OTAs. And like we are talking about a long time since he was activated and he's still limited with this knee. I mean, he might never play again for Teddy Bridgewater. So you couldn't go all in there with that issue. You couldn't go all in on Sam Bradford because his knee fell apart on you last year. You couldn't go all in on Case Keenum because you're not sure if he can keep it up. That he had a great season last year. I mean, Pro Football Focus had him ninth in the league, but that's that's the results. That's not projecting the future. And for him, I think the team thought, well, it's a, it's a bit of a pop up season when a two fifty hitter all of a sudden hits three twenty for a year and then goes right back to being who he is after that. Who was the there was a guy who was like a second baseman for the Pirates who won a batting title one time and then it just who was that? God, dang it! I'm trying You'd to think be good of that. with this. It was
2: like ten years ago. Yeah. Um, um oh my gosh. I know you can do oh, those right there. Hold wow, on. Oh, you've me. really put him on the no, spot. Yeah, oh, no, no, I, know, right. I know. I know. I know. This is. He had, he's he getting had, old like, too. He hit like 325 or yep. something one random year. Yep,
0: and that was it. And I think that's how they viewed Case Keenum is that he was a product of <laughs> the me now. now. He was a product of Pat Shermer. he was a product of the wide receivers bailing him out and teams will eventually figure out how to slow him down. So when you run through those other options, the Other one would have been okay. Maybe we keep Keenum, but get another guy too, and then you're still not sure. When you have a 13 and three team, Freddie
2: Sanchez, Freddie Sanchez, Freddie Sanchez, yes, Yes.
0: Yes. beautiful. (laughs) When you have a 13 and three team, if you end up going eight and eight the next year because you bought fully into something that wasn't for real, Mm -hmm. like there's a really good chance that
2: they just fire you. 344 in 2006, by the way. You've lost him now.
1: This this was a terrible idea to bring up Freddie Sanchez (laughs) or that random pirate second baseman. 50 points higher than
2: his career average. Yep,
0: that's exactly it. That's Case Keenum, Freddie Sanchez. And so when you look at this situation with the Vikings quarterback, it's like, okay, you check these other guys off the list, can't do that guy, can't do that guy, can't do that guy, too much risk, too much risk, too much risk. Well, what else is out there? And you have a guy that does not come along with a, a lot of risks. You know exactly what he brings to the table. The only thing that I would caution is just where you put your expectations. And that's where we talk about is he still an underdog or not or where the expectations are because he's had this level of a supporting cast before. I would argue in 2016 Washington was even better and they still had their struggles with him because he's not a quarterback that's just going to raise up the level of everybody's play.
1: And the problem here too is, is that some of this is their own doing and some is not. But if you look at this this franchise, which has been a successful franchise for a long time for the most part, if you look at the amount of quarterbacks who have come through here uh, basically since 1990 or so and the amount of shots they've taken, I think Spielman finally said, okay, I can trust this guy. And Keenum, there is, there is no way that anybody that knows football didn't look at, at Keenum and say, that was a great year and, and that was fun. And it's not going to repeat itself, right? So I think what you had was Spielman and that staff just saying, "We might have to, or we're definitely going to have to overpay here." But who can we rely on the most? Yeah, it's and it's also,
2: Kirk Cousins. It's also interesting. We were talking about this during the break that, like, 32 teams were looking at free agent quarterbacks. Well, let's say 10 of them, like 10 teams were looking at free agent quarterbacks. Kirk Cousins was a free agent. Case Keenum was a free agent. They they both got drastically different contracts not because of like the discrepancy in the way that they played last year in fact you can make a case that keenan played a lot better than kirk cousins last year in a lot of ways it's that cousins has been doing it longer cousins has shown durability and maybe cousins has maybe cousins has a little bit more upside in the eyes of some of these nfl evaluators because of like what he's done numbers wise we have like three minutes left here with collar your thoughts on Paul Fenton, New Wild GM. You're you're also a hockey guy, in case people don't know this about Collar.
0: What you're really looking for from Paul Fenton, I think, is to pull off the P.K. Subban trade version in Minnesota. That there were a lot of opportunities along the way with Chuck Fletcher, with the assets he had, the movable players mm-hmm. that he had, to make a franchise-changing move and... He decided to stick with his guys, and that's what ultimately led to his demise. And I don't think that's going to be the case with Fenton. I think he's going to come in and say, we've got some good pieces coming up, but we've got other guys who are valued on the market that we might be able to change the core of this team enough rather than just trying to rearrange the deck chairs but make a move that actually kind of changes the
1: DNA of what you have. Who should he target? If, if, you, if you were to pick one pretty good player out there that he could target, who would you target? I don't know. I mean, sometimes with the
0: league, it's like guys that you would never dream would get traded end up getting traded, right? Like, I mean, Subban and Taylor Hall. If I would have told you, oh yeah, it's a really smart New Jersey should just target Taylor Hall. Like, I would have never seen anyone trading that guy coming, and then he turned around their franchise, and then they got a top draft pick. I think that's what you're looking for. For me, it's looking at someone like Jason Zucker. He is an RFA. Also, Matt Dumba is a restricted free agent too. Dumba is the one you should keep. And Zucker just had the best season of his career. It's going to be really hard for him to continue to repeat that year after year, 30 goals. He would have pretty high value out on the trade market. He'd be the one I'd be looking at and saying all right, somebody's going to want him. He's got four goals in 31 playoff games. Like, this guy clearly can't get it done when it comes to the postseason. That's way big enough of a sample to say, I don't think this works for him, or teams can shut him down. Granlund is the other one. I mean, he's a really good player, and I like him a lot. But, again, when it comes to the playoffs, teams lock down the neutral zone in the playoffs. And that's that's where he does a lot of his work. And I think you've seen some of the smart teams even, like, chipping it in is generally not a great play. But in the playoffs, a lot of teams have to play that way. And I think that's why the Kings won two Stanley Cups, because they get shut down in the neutral zone, and then they try to chip it in, control the puck, force goalies to make turnovers that turn into goals. Four-check. Four-check four is, is right. Four-check. And that's something that the Wild just didn't do all that well. And maybe you look at Granlund and say, you know, he's got a big price tag for a guy that can't get it done in the playoffs.
2: Yeah, Good stuff, Matthew. Thanks, Matthew, for coming in here. Appreciate your insight. Kyler, he's going to release part one of a three-part Kirk Cousins series in about an hour and a half on 1500ESPN.com, so check that out. Uh, A little early today with Jason Stark. We'll do that in about four minutes when we come back, and then later on we plan on taking the Paul Fenton press conference At 1130, Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd resume things following these messages.
0: I don't want to get any messages.
2: On 1500 ESPN.